Welcome to the Happiest Ever After podcast. I'm your host, Tatiana Robertson. And yes, you heard right, happy-ish. Because this podcast is not about chasing the fairy tale. We've seen behind the curtain and most of us are ready to hop off the hamster wheel of perfection. If you've ever wondered, how'd I end up in this life? How can I change it? What do I want from life? Is there more? Then this podcast is for you. The fairy tale may not be real. That's the good news. Because life is an amazing adventure and it's time for you to pick up the pen and write your own story. So let's get started and see where this journey takes us. Today we have Atel Light. She is, oh my gosh, so amazing. I'm just going to give you a really quick little bio. First, you can find her on Instagram. By the way, Light is spelt L-E-I-T. She's Israeli. It's a beautiful name. She is an author. She's a PhD candidate. She is a positive psychology professor and the founder of Signshine. She's done work on communication, self-expression, and relationships for the past 20 years. So an immense wealth of expertise and knowledge. And she is really focused on helping people who have struggled with relationships due to codependency, poor choices, and mostly toxic relationships with addicts. Oh my gosh. When I first came across Atel, I just thought I've needed you in my life for more than a decade. So welcome. Welcome to Happyish. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Happyish. I'm humbled. Thank you for the sweet, beautiful words. I am humbled to be here and uh, with you and your listeners. When I first, when we first uh, e-met, right, everything is on E, I was really excited. Your story, my story, everything that we can tell our audience and empower others. This is what we're all about. So thank you for having me. I haven't been really very public about my experience with having a relationship with addiction. And so when we met, Mm -hmm. I felt like this is a conversation that I have to have because for me, there's so much shame about my role and about what I lived through and a lot of self-recrimination. And as I got to know a little bit more about your work, I just thought, oh, how do I let go of this? On paper, I'm successful. I have a very good career. I've had a successful career. I have three amazing, beautiful children, but I'm a person too. And the idea that I was in a relationship with an addict Mm -hmm. and that I stayed there and that I couldn't change things, to know that this is the story of another intelligent, articulate, well-educated mom, and to know I'm not alone. Thank you so much for sharing that. I will actually take one step backwards because you said she's Israeli. And yes, I was born in Israel. I actually born, I was born in Jerusalem. I call myself sometimes the holy chick. So people, you know, it's Jerusalem. And I was born in a household which I did not know, but was a very competent home. Uh, I thought addiction, like many people think, it's something that, you know, only bums on the streets, you know, they drink and they're addicts. Yeah. People didn't know. And now the awareness, you know, there is more awareness, but it can be a very clean, quiet, functional addiction. Mm. And addiction has many, many forms. And I'm saying it now because maybe one of our listeners doubting. It's like, there is a lot of doubts. Uh, is she an easier addict? She's an addict. And there is immediately the denial of, no, there is no addict, no addiction. 
So I was born into the house of a dad who was an addict to other women, to love, and a mom that was chasing him. Mm. But I didn't know that as a child because I was the good girl. There was an expression in Hebrew, it's called good girl Jerusalem. So I was the good girl Jerusalem, perfectionate, always great in school, always mm. super achieving. But I took that. Mostly when I work with my clients and in my workshops and my, the workshops that I give to coaches, I go deeper a little bit. And we talk a little bit about the shame. It goes deeper, but people don't see it. People really don't see first the denial, the shame, and the embarrassment. This is the beginning of me wanting, in a way, to attract someone that is an addict. Because the subconscious is, oh, I don't want to attract the same thing, but we do. Yeah. I don't want to attract the same thing. I have now an amazing client who is a male and he's going through a hard time with his wife. And he says, but I don't want it. You know, I want to get divorced. I want to do it. And I say, no, if we're not going to go deeper, it's just going to be the same person. Yep. Just a different name and a different shape, right? Yep. So being with an addict first, like you said, it's the shame. I can tell you I was so embarrassed. I didn't talk about it forever, like ever, ever with no one. I had a beautiful life with the white picket fence. My kids are still adorable, but I was a trophy wife. Not only that, I kid you not, I had a t-shirt that I made for his birthday and I wrote, I am so-and-so trophy. In the book, his name is Dan. I'm Dan's trophy. That's how I wanted to be. I wanted to be the best so nobody can blame me for what's going on. Mm. But I saw it. And it was very clean. His addiction was pill addiction. I call it a clean addiction because usually alcoholism, you can smell, you can hear the bottles, you can see, you can measure. Pill addiction is more of a quiet addiction because you cannot really see the bottles or hear it or anything like that. And as I said, it's not something that is only for bums. He's an amazing guy. He's very funny, sweet, and he struggles as well. He struggled with this addiction. Yeah. And addiction is a family addiction, is an environmental addiction. Addiction doesn't go only with the one person. It really spill like to everyone. My breakthrough in one of my EMDR sessions was I saw bubbles, like literally lots of bubbles. And I was a pink bubble. Mm. We're all pink bubble. We are very pure. This is who we are. This is how we are born. We are born innocent and thirsty to learn. And his addiction had this black ink. And can you imagine one drop into a pink bubble? And it doesn't mean that he's bad and I'm good. It doesn't mean that I'm labeling it. Just the addiction is conniving. It's lying. You would do a lot yeah. to create chaos. So one drop of tiny addiction into a family like that or relationship, that's it. It's all chaos and embarrassment and shame and self-doubt. Oof, self-doubt. Am I pretty enough? Am I smart enough? Am I wise enough? Am I quick enough to solve his problems and forget about mine? Oh my gosh. First, I just want to go back. You mentioned EMDR. Yes. For our listeners, what is that? So EMDR, it's a rapid eye movement therapy. When you actually go into the trauma. Now, I want to say it very loud to our listeners. There is going to the trauma to heal the trauma. And there is going to the trauma to be the victim. I love my mom. She's amazing. She did herself an amazing work, but she was a complainer. She called her girlfriends only to complain about how miserable is her life because of my dad. Mm. She whined forever to me about what's going on. And I see it also in my practice and on social media and on the stories. It's the victim mode. They did it to me. They hurt me. He done it for me. She did it for me. 
he, 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 he. And after 10 minutes, I'm like, okay, let's get out of the monkey talk for a second. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. <laughs> By the way, he in Hebrew is she. So it sounds the same thing. The monkey talk, the victim mode. Mm. I want to be in my story because I'm so miserable and let's go there. So this is one way of going into the trauma story. The other way is going to the trauma story in order to heal it. Now, there's so many different methods. There is tapping, there is eye movement. You are actually in the present and you're healing it. You're healing the trauma. You're reliving it and reliving it and reliving it until all of a sudden it doesn't hurt anymore. It's still a memory, but it doesn't hurt as much. Mm. It's really powerful. And this is the goal in healing trauma. Telling the story again and again until it's not freaking you out. Like the memory is like, oh my God. I can tell you when I used to remember some moments with my ex, uh, especially when we got divorced, I was real in panic attacks. I didn't eat. I was 94 pounds. I, I didn't have a life. It was all about my kids and dinner and even a little bit of work because addiction takes over your life. You can do a lot of things and that's what happened to me and I'm not even using yeah. I, I didn't even use, but I did use. I used the same way he did. He just used the substance and I used the relationship. And this is the wake up call that I'm really looking to bring out, Tatiana. Addiction is still there if the person is addict and someone is after. And not only partners, by the way, can be a mom who is really living for her child who is addict or a dad or a child or even a boss or a friend when you lose your life over someone else who is dealing with the addiction and then dysfunctional relationship starts. I think one of the points that you raised that's so important is when you're revisiting, when you're going to that place of trauma to really be clear about going in to heal and not to perpetuate the trauma or re-traumatize yourself. Feeling the pain all over again and doing that over and over and over, that's not healing. The phrase time heals all wounds. I wish we nobody would say that again. Let's pretend that phrase was never ever said because <laughs> time doesn't heal the wound. Yeah. Going in, revisiting the pain of 20 years earlier, that doesn't make it better. That's just a passing of time. What makes it better is doing the work. Right. But it's so complicated it and something that really resonated was how you were talking about your role in the relationship. And I felt like Oh boy, I felt so much of it and I'm still trying to understand because I know this is healing that still has to happen. Yeah. So I'm still trying to understand this, but my default was he wouldn't be an addict if I was better. Exactly. I'm doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. And I'm also balancing here, trying to have this conversation and be open and transparent and not tell someone else's story. So I can't say if he felt that he benefited, I know there was a lot of gaslighting that happened mm -hmm. in the relationship. Mm -hmm. My family of origin, I was raised Baha'i, and so there's no alcohol. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I grew I didn't up have alcohol in my home too. We, we didn't have alcohol, but addiction, as I said, is not only alcohol. Right. The addiction in this case was alcohol. Right. And, and some of the gaslighting that happened was around, well, you just don't understand. This is how normal people live. I thought, well, if it's impacting me negatively, if it's impacting our family, I thought I actually thought that I was able to protect my children from it, that somehow they weren't aware. Like now I look back and I think, oh, what was I thinking? Yes. I still struggle with that to not bring it into future relationships, whether it's a partnership or whether it's with my family or with any relationship. 
is feeling like I, in some way, am making someone make bad choices. Yeah. How how yeah. ridiculous of me to think that I have that much power. Exactly. Now I'm like, <laughs> I'm not God. I can't make so. Exactly. <laughs> like, who am I? Like, yes. Yeah. So first of all, you know, I always say, you know, shaming, shaming guilt is optional. You know, well, I feel so guilty. I feel so guilty. I'm like, okay. Guilt is optional. Guilt, you know, we can drop it. Guilt is almost like an excuse. It's really an excuse to feel bad about ourselves. So, you know, for me, it's just like, okay, we can go into guilt, but it's just another excuse. But you said something really deep, Tatiana, that we really want to help. It doesn't come always, you know, from being arrogant. I know it all and I can do that. It's really our deep, deep need to help someone that needs us. This person is struggling and we know because we don't have the addiction. So if I'll talk to him about it and I'll create rules about it and I'll do this about it and all this, 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 then I can fix him because he cannot see it, but I can see it for himself. So many times I hear my clients come and, you know, tell me, but you know, yesterday we had such a great conversation and I already smile and I know where to go to because it's not going to be about a great movie that they watch. I'm like, okay, what was so great about it? We talked about the addiction and he agreed. This is exactly the illusion Mm. because no one can change anyone. I cannot be changed by anyone. So deep change comes from only from the darkness, only. There is no change that comes from a bright light. Oh, my life is great. And somebody only from darkness of the self. So even if the relationship is chaotic, it's only when I feel, when I call for help and I say, I can't do it anymore. Not only for addicts, but also for myself. My change happened when I literally, I don't know if you know that, in September 2013, I was found on the floor of our bathroom with a heartbeat of 21 going down. Mm. Down, down to the time, I have goosebumps every time I tell this story. I actually saw the white light. I start flying. It was a beautiful, beautiful world. I knew that I need some serenity. I wanted peace in my life. Yeah. And I didn't do anything. It's not that I hurt myself. It's just on the outside, I had a bacteria which took over my immune system. It was, you know, bacteria that showed as a flu, but it was for weeks and it took over my immune system to the place that it took over my heart. That was from the outside. That was a medical thing. Many people who are in dysfunctional, chaotic relationships are finding their health being really harmed. Mm. So I was on the floor. He actually found me, called 911, which revived me on the bed of my daughter. I was connected to wires for three weeks, trying to bump my heartbeats over 35. And I didn't even get the message then. It wasn't deep enough for my rock bottom to understand that this is it. The healing was a long time, especially the mental and the emotional healing. I knew I needed life differently. I drove by a a cemetery. We have a veteran cemetery here. I drove by. I remember this moment. I looked at the cemetery. I looked at all the graveyards and I thought, Etel, do you want to continue your life like that? Do you want to leave dying? And I knew no. And the pain was so immense because I have two kids because financially we're together, because I love him, because this is my life. I didn't sign up to get divorced, but I knew that I need to leave. And I didn't leave until then. I didn't leave outside. People thought that I'm leaving. It was so beautiful, like a sweet family, but inside I was crumbling in, you know, and now my mantra is love your life and your life will love you back. Love your life. 
You don't have to have a big bank account. You don't have to have the night on the white horse. You just really love your life every day. I love my life. I do. I, I, I so love my life. And that's the biggest gift that I received only from being in the darkness. And I'm telling you, the divorce was terrible. It was horrible. We were months and months in courtroom. And only from there, I grew. I didn't try to fix him. I learned to say, what you think about me is none of my business. When people are in a relationship with a dysfunctional person, when it's really chaotic, they crave for the other person affirmation. You're pretty. Oh my God, that's is it. I love my life. Oh, you just said something so smart. That's it. And then comes to, you love so ugly. And then your life crumbles. It's like, oh my God. Mm. He told me that my love is, you know, I, I'm laughing really big. Today I laugh. I don't care. But back then I was afraid to laugh. But when he said I'm pretty, when I'm beautiful, when I cook well, when I'm smart, I live for these moments. So my happiness was dependent on somebody else's words. It wasn't dependent on me. It wasn't something that I decided to give me. Mm. It was always depending on what somebody else is thinking and saying about me. That is such a tough lesson. Oh, when you were talking about how you just knew at that point, mm -hmm. it was time. Yeah. That's one of the hardest things. I would have said, of course, you know, I love my life. There's some things about it that aren't right, but I didn't have enough insight in myself to be able to reflect back and say, what don't I like? And I think that I was mm -hmm. a couple of things. My family of origin story meant that this sort of tumultuous relationship and this constant walking on eggshells felt normal. So even though it's not a pleasant experience, it felt familiar. Mm -hmm. So it was something I was used to. If you spend every day walking on eggshells, you just get used to the sound of the crunch, crunch, crunch and trying to walk lightly. And then you don't even think of it as walking or treading lightly. You just think of it as walking. That's the way you do it. But also the other element was fear. Fear of admitting to myself what was making me unhappy. So your insight in that moment because that I know from experience how painful and difficult allowing that moment of realization. It's something that we hold in and we tamp it down. We actually know, mm -hmm. we know inside and we spend so much energy holding it down that I'm not surprised that your body broke down. I, I have a very similar thing. I had recurring bronchitis year after year after year after year. I had bronchitis and it often turned into full-blown pneumonia. Yeah, because it's the energy. Exactly. Two clients who, both of them, they have fibromyalgia. But the doctor doesn't know about the dysfunctional place that they are. I'm not saying they don't have, I'm not an MD, I'm going to be doctor soon, but I'm not an MD. I can't really diagnose physical illnesses, but it usually goes hand by hand. Mm. You know, fibromyalgia, I have this, I have this, and, it, and it's real. I mean, I had a real disease. And you said something, Tatiana, really, really, it's a key word. So many people say, I don't know what to do. I know what it is. I know, I know. The first step is to say, I don't know. I don't don't know. The mind wants to find reasoning, logic. What am I going to do? What's going to happen? It's the going to sleep at night and having all this conversation with the people. It's mm -hmm. finding all the help. People read all the self-help books. They want to know. They try this. They try that because they want to know. The minute that you just surrender, let go, let go. My thesis that I'm doing now is what is it about letting go and surrendering? And this is where it all starts. When you just surrender do whatever is higher power. I don't know, higher power, universe, God, something that is not me. Because I, like you said earlier, 
I, I'm not God. I'm not higher power. I'm not anyone's God. But I'm collecting gods. He was my God. My bosses were my gods. My kids were my God. Yeah. When I'm saying God, it's not a religious component. Also, that I was born in Jerusalem. It's really about the term. I collected gods. He was my God. If he told me something, as I said, that was my truth. But today, I have my own higher power. Mm. Who is my freaking best friend? But Diana, can you imagine from a, a girl from Jerusalem, when I went to pray and I had little kids, and I'm like, where am I going to pray? And I had an amazing woman who helped me because I don't believe that I could do it by myself. I'm not God. And she told me, you know what, I'm helping you because one day you will help other women. And today I'm actually, I'm doing my work with my clients and my workshops, but I'm also volunteering with five women. I'm volunteering because I believe mm -hmm. that my energy is not going to go forward if I'm going to do my work only for pay. Yes, you know, I get payment for that and it's great, but I need to do my also volunteering work. And she told me, she actually inspired me. She said, one day you'll help another woman. And it's amazing. I am so blessed to do that because I was able to come and say, I don't know. And I was looking for my higher power. I was looking for God, which I didn't know. I thought that he's only a punishing thing. So she told me, go pray, go talk to him in the bathroom. I'm like, in the bathroom, are you crazy in Jerusalem? We don't pray in the bathroom. Like, I'm going to die. I mean, literally, I thought that if I'm going to do it as a kid, I'm, I'm going to like, you know, have a character. I'm die. He'll kill me. In the bathroom. Sorry, I relate so much. Exactly. Here we go. And I did it. And I was afraid that something was going to happen. But, you know, through this courage... I develop really deep relationship with my higher power who loves me no matter what, mm. because I'm honest with me. People think that honesty is only with other people, but it's honest with me. I'm honest with myself because I know, I know when I have a partner and I know that this is not for me, but I lie for myself because it's comfortable. As you said, this is how I know. Mm -hmm. So why to break up right now? And maybe he's going to change and maybe, hey, I tell stop this bullshit. You know, you don't need anyone to dictate that, you know, for yourself. And that's how I build a little bit more courage with the time. And that's the courage that I give to my clients by practicing. It's by saying, I don't know, I'm letting go. I really don't need to know everything. And there's a big workshop that I do with a lot of people. It's called God Box. God Box is a little box and it can be a sock if you want to hide it, or it can be a jar, or it can be a little thing. And any obsession or thought or something that you're not sure of, you just write what it is and you just let go, put it on the box. And at night you say, I need to sleep. I'm a human. But this entity who, whatever I believe in, can stay up and take care of this problem. And kid you or not, I read it once every three months and I'm like, oh my God, I was worried about this. <laughs> it doesn't mean that at the moment I'm not worried about it. It's not like my life is like, la, la, la. No, it's not. But I practice, and this is positive psychology, when I want to talk to you about. It's little tools that help me to let go, to relax for the moment. I, I really don't know what's going to be happening tomorrow. But I have and I give these tools to just trust. Because people who are hurt in dysfunctional relationship, the first thing that goes out the door is trust. Mm -hmm. How can you trust anyone? How can you trust someone that lies to you about drinking? How can you trust someone that lies to you about women? I mean, I just had a call with a woman who, her husband, after 32 years of marriage, she found out that he was actually cheating on her 30 years. Oh. How can you trust again? How can you trust someone that tells you that he goes to see his friends is actually realizing that he's gambling? Mm -hmm. Or not even with addiction. How can you trust someone that 
one day he's a shining little beautiful amazing cheerleader and the other day you're his punch bag yeah you learn to walk on eggshells and be really careful with every relationship you learn to read the temperature of the room before you do anything and you learn to be controlling because the illusion says if i control the issue if i control the situation then i'll be safe So quickly, I'm going to control. Nobody's going to surprise me. Yes. And I feel like I'm attending a masterclass right now. Oh, thank you. That's what I feel thank like. You. This is my little pearls. Yes. To me, when you were talking about the surrender, my brain immediately went to what's the opposite of surrender? It's control. Exactly. The thing is, is that when we control, we limit the scope of everything that we see because we're so fixated on keeping it within the scope of control, whereas surrender offers these amazing opportunities. Right. And control comes from fear. Yes. You know, when people say, oh, you're so controlling, you're so controlling, it's so much fear and pain. Mm. Controlling always comes from, I don't want anyone to hurt me. So I'm going control. So I have the illusion of being always on top of things. And this is the equivalent of a bully. So what does bully does? He has so much pain inside that he knows that if he's going to bully first, then nobody's going to hurt him. Mm-hmm. Bullies always hurt by other people. I don't know if it's at home or other children or whatever it is. And it's exactly what the addiction does. It really pushes people to be bullies because there's so much shame and and fear that I'm going to control it everybody is going to be afraid of me they'll do what I do and I'm going to be safe because I know nobody's going to surprise me nobody is going to pull no the rug under my feet right mm-hmm. I know what to do so I have a question for you because you were talking about how the loss of trust with others and I've gotten to this point and I'd like to hear your perspective on this where I don't know that it's that I don't trust other people I think it's actually that I don't trust myself mm-hmm. in controlling. I just need to make sure that I always have an exit strategy. Mm-hmm. I always have to make sure that I can keep things around myself safe because yes. I don't trust. I've made bad choices in the past. I have put myself in unsafe situations and I have a tendency of saying it's not them, it's me. So I'm at this place where I'm learning how to forgive myself for the past, but learning to trust myself. Whoa, yeah. that's asking for the winning lottery. Yeah. And maybe, ugh, wouldn't it be great if by the end of this conversation, I was like, no, no, got it all fixed. I, de- I, <laughs> I think you are highly skilled. I think this is work that's going to take me a long time to keep working through. Yeah. But I don't think that I'm alone. I think the first step is you think, oh, I don't trust them. But when you start to dig deeper, when you start peeling back the onions, and I was oh. just talking with someone about, I'm like, I'm not peeling back an onion. I'm on the farm truck surrounded <laughs> by onions and they're all slightly joined and when I peel one another one I love and, that. and every time it comes back to do I feel trusting of me mm-hmm. and I'm looking at you if everybody could see this right now your book behind you <laughs> unaddicted to you oh several books you know books. <laughs> but the one that resonates so deeply is just the title yes. unaddicted to you you know right. you've come through this you're helping others i know you're still on your journey cuz we are all on this journey until we aren't on this journey exactly but i look at you and i think oh i feel like there's this energy of peace that just it vibrates not the right word because it's just like an an aura of, of peacefulness and i want to get to that place you're very inspiring i can see why you. you create a safe place for women and men to want to come to you to help them through this i appreciate that how did you get to this space 
So, you know, first you said about trusting and it is about trusting the self. Absolutely. And I touched it, you know, of course, I didn't trust myself. I learned in a very young age how to manipulate. I learned what are the right answers to say. Mm. I learned what to have to do with my eyes to be very pretty and smart. I learned to get A's, all A's in school. Mm-hmm. So people will say, she's good. Yeah. You know, literally my parents used to say to me, oh, your report card is so boring. And then go to my sister. So I'm like, oh my God, yes. People don't believe me, but I was an introvert when I was a child. I really cared about my books. So I'm not going to have interaction with the chaos. So how would I trust myself if I knew that I calculate actions? How can I trust myself if I knew that I do things in order to get by? So trusting myself starts with trusting that I am not God. It's really trusting my higher power again and again and again. It's like practice. It's like a muscle. And then all of a sudden, I don't need to be in charge of anything. This podcast between us happened because I trust. Can't even tell you all these things. Now, one more tool that I want to give because I'm a tool person. Yeah. I'm an action. I'm dynamic and I'm innovative. That's the three things that you get from me. I'm really peaceful, but if you don't do the action, I don't know, find a wall and cry to the wall. That's what I tell my clients. You know, there is a Western wall in Israel. Just do it. But if you come to me, we're doing actions. And I actually give assignments from one time that we are meeting to the other. You can leave my office, you can leave the Zoom, you can leave my workshops without an assignment. So the one assignment that I truly believe in, this is really about trusting, is every day write a gratitude list, every night. People would say, okay, so can I ask you, Tatiana, what are you grateful for today? Or maybe you're going to surprise me, but what are you grateful for today? Actually, this morning, I had a conversation about what a wonderful weekend it was. It was my dream weekend, full hike that ended up being considerably longer than anticipated and the achiness that I just love and seeing the hawk. And then the next day, actually getting some of the stuff that has to be done. Like, I know it sounds so silly. The grain barrels got cleaned. And huh. and that might sound like, oh, you're grateful about the rain barrels being cleaned, yeah. but they were cleaned and leveled. And so that's done. And I get such, <laughs> I feel like such a geek. No, but this things is like that yes. make me I like, love I'm it. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, that's done. I'm very action oriented. Mm. That's what drew me to you originally. So when I'm saying, oh, this peacefulness, because I don't think I had expected that as much because I already knew you were action oriented. Mm. And I love to do these actions, like getting the entire deck ready so that I can enjoy a peaceful evening with my book on the deck. Exactly it. I mean, you you got it. Ding, ding, ding. Amazing. Usually when you ask people, so what are you grateful for today? They would say, my house. If they have children, they would say, my children, my health, really general thing. But that's not today. I mean, what happened today in your life? Today I had a day. So for today, I know in the evening, I will have my amazing, unbelievable podcast with Tatiana, which is so personal and so deep. This is going to be my gratitude today. And it's also going to be my daughter who offered to put gas in the car today. She actually offered that. This is going to be in my gratitude list. These little things take me out into the me, 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 and trusting that there is something bigger than I am who are giving me this abundance in my life. Now, it doesn't happen because I'm humming and I'm standing on my head. It happens with actions. Yes. I know from a fact that the people who actually write down their gratitude list, they will do it for a week. They will do it for two weeks and then they will let go. I do it eight years. That's why you're looking at the serenity. Eight years, there was no one night. And I travel a lot. I have my little God box when I travel. I do it for eight years. 
eight years, Tatiana, I'm writing in my God box things that I want my universe to take care of. Eight years, and today's going to be the day, every first day of the new moon by the Hebrew calendar, but you know, the new moon is, doesn't have to be by that. I write specifically what happens to me this month with color coding, mm. because this is how I train my brain to be really concentrating on the gifts that I'm getting every day. I'm practicing my brain to establish this great relationship that I have with someone who loves me. And it doesn't have to be a human. And then what happens when I find humans? Oh my God, I don't have to chase anyone. I'm a magnet. Yeah. And that's one of the workshops that I'm teaching, you know, not chasing being a magnet. But it's not about woo-woo-woo. It's about taking actions. This is not an easy breezy thing. If you think you're going to take a workshop, go home and your life is going to be, oh, you're good. Uh-uh, no. You know, it's a practice. But it should be practice of goodness. Go to the trauma. Talk about the trauma. Talk about it so much that the pain dissipates. So you forgive, but you don't forget. There is a big difference yeah. between forgiving and forgetting. You don't have to forget. This is part of you. This is who made me. This is who made you, Tatiana. These darkness are here for us so we can give to others, mm -hmm. but we don't have to dwell in the pain. I wish our listeners can see a beautiful picture. Correct me if I'm wrong. This is what I see of a butterfly. Yes. I love this. Actually, I have a tattoo of a butterfly right here. I'll show it to you. And I did it the first day after I was uh, released from the Israeli intelligence. I was a commander in the Israeli intelligence. And that's why it's like dying. But I'm not going to fix it because it reminds me of so much. And you know, before a butterfly becomes a butterfly, it's a cocoon. So let's say that I have this little cocoon and... I know that this cocoon is going to be butterfly. So why not opening it? But what happens to a cocoon that you actually open it before it's ready? He will never fly. Yes. Never fly. He will actually die. Yes. And that's the same thing about anyone that we are trying to help. Sometimes not helping, and I know it's painful. Sometimes not helping is exactly what the person needs. Yes. And all of a sudden it's going to crack by itself. And one wing and another wing. And oh my God. And you know, this cocoon never knows that it's going to be a butterfly. It's actually really in deep and darkness and doesn't really like it. But then it comes out and it's beautiful. And this is really what resembles us. Be patient, be patient. This comparison, oh my God. Comparison to other people. You ready for one more thing? I'm ready. Yes. We compare our insides to somebody else's outsides. Mm. Yeah. That's what we are experts in doing. It's like, I'm going to compare me inside. That's what I know because I don't, I cannot see myself on the outside unless I'm in the mirror to this. Oh my God, she got it together and they have the career and they have a big bank account and she's married. You know, I don't want to trade with anyone. No, thank you. This is me. This is what I brought me. And I never wanted to trade with anyone. That's one thing that I can tell you. I never, but I kept comparing myself mm. to all my girlfriends that were married happily ever after, that their husbands mm. loved them forever, that it's, you know, BS. Everyone has this life, especially now with social media. I didn't have social media when I was uh, married. It, when I got divorced eight years ago, so social media was really in the beginning of it. Mm -hmm. But uh, I kept comparing. We always look for someone to compare, but it's really comparing me to what I was a month ago, comparing myself to what I was a year ago, comparing myself to what sometimes I was last week. And that's the trick. That's another positive psychology trick. And I stop this comparison. Yeah. And compare yourself to you because only you know what's going on with you.
I even find that you don't feel a connection to people mm -hmm. who talk about the bright and shiny because it just doesn't feel authentic because we all, we all have our ups and downs. Mm -hmm. We don't know if five minutes before that photo was taken, you just had a fight or if you were asked to post something because the other individual wants everybody to recognize that the two of you are together, even though you're not in a good place. Yes. So there's often a story and because I have been the person who has posted, I know I'm not alone now. Yeah. I haven't felt compelled to ever want to be somebody else, mm -hmm. but comparison is something that has been a lifelong struggle. Right. And that's where the illusion of control mm -hmm. steps in. Right. As if I could be somehow someone different right. and that my life would be different if I was. Getting back to the beginning of the conversation, I thought if I was better looking, if I was more gentle, if I was more all of the different things that if I was, mm -hmm. then this wouldn't be the situation. Ironically, at the center of it, it is if I was different, I maybe wouldn't be in that situation. But it is about the work that I have to do inside myself. I'm not sure. Does that make sense? Yes. Are, are you First getting that? All, it's, yes. it's such a hard concept to convey because I feel like there's conflicting sort of things. Like it's not if I was wealthier or blonde or something like that. It's that if I was a completely different person, yeah. but then I don't want to be a different person, but I recognize that there's, if I want to be in a different situation in my life and to have the type of relationship that I truly desire, mm -hmm. then I have to do the work to be a different version of myself. The better me, the more honest with myself, me, the trusting of me, the loving of yeah. me self. Mm. And you are all these things. Mm. You are all these things. That's what I told you. Every night I write these things that I am. Yeah. You know, I was born to a family of six children and I was a highly gifted student. I had to drive every morning an hour to school, two buses, hour to school and back. And most of the students came from affluent families. They had a lot of money and we didn't. My dad left us when I was 14. I was the oldest of six. My brother was three months old. And my mom went to a deep depression and I helped her cleaning offices. You know, I went to school, came help her with the children. We cleaned offices, buildings, government buildings, like a floor after a floor. Mm. This is when I learned to be an author because I used to look at all these offices and make up stories, you know, by the picture. I was like, oh, she's married. Oh, he's single. Oh, he's young. Oh, he's <laughs> That's how I learned, you know, to be a little detective with my quietness, you know, with, with the broom and cleaning. It wasn't happy at home. My mom wasn't depressed. My dad wasn't there. We didn't have money. And then I went to school every day and I saw these kids who have car. I mean, I didn't have a car. Cars and have tennis lessons. But I never wanted to be them. But I wanted to have what they have. I really do. But today, it's like you said, I have it. You are all these things, Tatiana. You're beautiful and peaceful. And it takes the work to just stay to say, this is who I am. Because if you are brave enough to say, this is who I am every day, as I said, to write it down and read it. Our brain is very tricky. When we read something every day, it, the brain is so tricky. We read, I am beautiful. I never thought myself as pretty or beautiful or any of like that. I have a stunning sister. My, oh my God, my sister is like really beautiful. 
And I thought, I'm like the smart, the ugly duckling. Like, that's what I thought. Not the ugly duckling. But I was like, okay, I'm okay. I'm a child. I have to, I have to pause everybody <laughs> just so that, you know, go on to, go on to Atel's Instagram. She's drop dead gorgeous. Oh, like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, are you, is your sister Miss Universe? <laughs> she is. <laughs> thank you. But you know, it, I didn't think that. They always these friends who have tennis games and they were the only child. They're like my best friends. Not they're always be my best friends, but I didn't see that. I was so busy comparing. I was so busy in the pain. And it wasn't my pain. It was just my mother's pain. I was just a 14 years old who were born to this. And I really wanted to save my mom from her pain because of my dad. So I would do anything. And that's why I found my ex-husband because he was in so much pain when I thought, okay, he's not a bum on the streets, but I so wanted to fix his pain. That's all I want to know how to do. And now I'm done fixing. You found your eggshells yeah. to go I, walk on. You're like, I recognize this. Yeah. I am really good at this. I'm really good at fixing pain. Yes. This is the match. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And there is deeper because if I'm an adult who is fixing someone else, then I have the illusion. This is in psychology. Then I have the illusion that I fixed my parents. Mm. This is what really it's all. It's not only about I found my eggshells. It's a really the deep need of a person to fix exactly the same person so they can feel complete. Okay. I fixed mm. my parents. I'm good. I'm good. Now people come to me like, no, but my husband, you know, my, my dad wasn't an addict or my mom wasn't there. If you go deep, it's the same. It's usually replicate itself. Yeah. Maybe not the same story, but the same roles that we are during childhood and as an adult. And that's what really hard to break in therapy and in the work. You say, okay, do I really want to do that? Because it's not the person. It's we are attracting that. Or do I want to find this spark? Mm -hmm. Do I want to find this spark in my heart and go there? So am I really... To be honest with me and stop fixing other people and attend to me. Mm. Attend to this little girl who was running around and nobody really asked, like, how do you feel today, my love? It was never about mm. that. It was me about asking other people, how do you feel today? And yeah. most of the people who are in dysfunctional relationship, they come from these households. I volunteer in jails. I did. I wasn't there for a long time. I'm going to do it soon because finally the regulations of COVID are over. And I go and I see every two, three months to 200 inmates here in LA in, the, in jail. And I wake up so early in the morning and I go three hours into the lane to go into the jail. And it's just spectacular to see these ladies talking to me. And it's really brightening their day because it's not a therapist coming and talking to them. It's nothing paid coming and talking to them. Just me, simple person coming and telling, hey girls, you know. I was in your shoes one day, mm -hmm. you know, because what happened to these ladies, they go again and again to the same thing. Who waits for them outside of the jail? Same family. Yeah. Where are they going to go? It's the same cycle. I've been there. So I understand these women. And I talk to them and I say, no, there's a different way to do it. But you have to be honest with yourself. Are you ready for that? Mm -hmm. Not many people are ready for that. When people are working with me, that's what you start with. I'm Israeli. I'm there. Right. Yeah. There's no BSing and bullshitting with me. I don't buy that. Either you come to work or you work, you come to blah, blah. No, we're not do that. We go deep, we work, we cry, we go again and we work and we find this little kid that needs me, hug them, bring them to our life and shine, shine through. It doesn't mean that I don't have, I have hard days. Two days ago, it was before my photo shoot that we did yesterday for the new uh, workshop that I'm coming with. It's called the Rehab for the Soul. Ooh, you know? I like that. Yeah. A Rehab for the Soul. Thank you. And two days ago, I was crying. <laughs> I was like, yeah. And then I put it in my God's box and things just 
zoom through, but we all have feelings. And when I was a child, there was no space for feelings, mm. right? I mean, nobody asked me how I feel today. It was always about my mom or whatever, what she felt about my dad cheating or whatever. Mm-hmm. So feelings were not like, how do you feel today? This generation, and I'm telling you because I work with many families, that's what I do actually for 18 years. I help families with their children. And the only feeling that is addressed with the new generation is good feelings. Mm. It's like, oh, look at this picture that you brought from school. It's so nice. Or when a baby cries, you know, so what does the mother do? She has the baby. She taps on the back and she says, oh, it's okay. It's okay. It's the need of this generation to make feelings only happy. And research shows right now that all the college, graduate college, they are terrified from life. Why? Because they don't know that their feelings, there is a raise of feelings. There is frustrated. There is unhappy. There is worried. There is obsessed. There is jealous. There is shy. It's all raise of feelings. They only know happy, sad, elated, wonderful. What about the other feelings? It's, it's exactly what you said. In social media, it's only about happy. So what is this teenager or college graduate learn? I don't know how to tap into my sad feelings at all. Yeah. But let's give it a space. This is important. This is part of the growth. Again, not from victim home. That is what yeah. I'm about. And that's why this is called happyish ever after. The pursuit of happiness has actually been demonstrated. Scientific studies are saying it's actually leading people to depression Mm -hmm. because we have this whole idea that there are positive emotions. And by positive, I mean emotions that are okay to feel and then negative emotions. And in our culture, that means emotions not to be felt Mm -hmm. as opposed to just emotions. Mm -hmm. They're emotions. And we need to feel all of them. We need to feel the full breadth of the human experience. Why would we have feelings and complex feelings if we weren't meant to actually feel them? Exactly. I'm not about chasing after the fairy tale. You don't want to live a meh life, but the pursuit of constant positive feelings. Yeah, but it goes back into, are you holding the feelings that are less happy as a victim mode? Mm. Or are you feeling and being in a stage and moving on? This is exactly what you just said. So am I sitting and dwelling in my worries and victimhood and unhappiness and obsession? Or am I giving it a stage and I'm taking an action to do it? right? It's like, okay, let's give it space. Let's give this emotions and then do what are we doing about it? Are we going to sit and tell the world about how misery I am all the time again and again and again? Or do I have the trust to let go, to know that it's going to be taken care of, to do the action day after day and to change it? You know, even simple thing as like going to the mirror and smile, even when I feel like so, uh, mm-hmm. that's an action that can turn it. I love Mel Robbins high five habit, mm-hmm. giving the high five. I think that's a great one because guess what? Sitting down and turning on Netflix isn't actually an action. Mm-hmm. Binging may be a verb, but it's not actually, <laughs> it's not a productive action. Yeah. So whether it's chips or cake or Netflix you know, I think that's sort of the start of the addiction cycle is the not taking the action. Yeah, it's an addiction. Yeah. It's numbing the feelings. I could talk to you for hours. Thank and this you. is such an amazingly important discussion because all of this, it really comes down to us being able to do our work. And I love that you have this peacefulness and you marry that with the scientific research, the academic, the life experience, 
and the really proactive actions to help people. You give them things that they can do that will actually help them on their journey. This is an important journey, particularly because we can stop the generational cycles. If they didn't get healed in previous generations, previous generations really didn't have the opportunities to the resources. And and you know, with that, because I told you, I can get if I don't give back. So this is a gift that I'm going to give today. For the three first email that I'm going to get, which is EL, my initials, etalite at etalite.com, or they can DM me on Instagram, which is etalite. The three first emails or DMs are going to get with me a free session of 30 minutes, but it needs to be only for people who are willing to get into work and not a victim mode. I'm willing to listen and then to give a few tools that will help them out of my heart, because that's what I do. This is, you cannot continue if you don't give others. So before you make this DM or the email, make sure that you don't want to stay in the victim mode. I'm not here only to listen. And you're really here to get a few tools for free from me. So here we go. That's my gift for any listener today that is willing to really change their life and live a little bit differently because we are tired living life with somebody else. It's such a generous offer. And I so appreciate that three meetings like that, not only do you end up spending a little more than 30 minutes because then you do some prep and some thinking and, and stuff like that and the correspondence to set things up. Oh, yeah. But the thing is time. We mm-hmm. all have a finite amount of time. Right. I believe personally that the most generous thing that you can give someone is your time. It's a beautiful gift. Thank you. We actually have a little sign in the house that says the family's favorite gift is time together. Because that's what people want from each other. They just want time. And most of our callers, what they want from the person who are they chasing is their time. Time together. Because that says, I see you. I hear you. That's what people crave. Wow, Tatiana, this was amazing. Thank you so much. I'm feeling cool from this podcast today. I really feel inspired, enlightened. This is a great interview. You really, it's still part of it, like a process. So thank you so much. Thank you for coming on. I have been so incredibly honored. I have so many takeaways. It's been a beautiful experience for me as well. Thank you so much. I feel such sincerity from you. And thank you for being so open to share what you went through and your life experience. There was so much. Honestly, we could turn this into a whole, like, I don't know, Netflix mini mini series. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you. Thank you so much, Tatiana. Before I start the recap, I want to say... This podcast is not advocating for you to leave a relationship or not to leave a relationship. In this podcast, we talk about doing your own work so that you can better understand your patterns, understand why it is that you chose this relationship, and then start to do the healing. Whether you decide to stay or leave, the inner work still needs to be done. Because if you leave the relationship and don't do the work to resolve what brought you into the relationship with the addict, you are likely to repeat the pattern, the next relationship. And now the recap. Not all addictions are visible. A number of addicts are functional addicts and people who integrate with them regularly may be completely unaware of the addiction. And that contributes to this feeling of isolation that living with an addict can have on you. In addition, there's often a lot of shame. So you might feel that you can do something to change the addict, but you can't. It's also important to know that addiction affects the entire family. I thought I was protecting my children and keeping my ex a secret, but addiction taints everything it touches 
like the drop of blank ink that Atel mentioned, it seeps into everything around it. And it's a difficult thing to come to grips with, but you cannot make someone else change. We can only focus on our own role and healing what needs to be healed. So understanding our role in the relationship is important. Often we're recreating our childhood relationships and our partner relationships. In Atel's case, she grew up feeling she was responsible for her mother's well-being, and she recreated that pattern in her marriage. So today, Atel gave us four action-oriented gifts to help us heal and create a life we love. First, she mentioned EMDR, which stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing, and it's a mental health therapy that has helped people overcome emotional pain from PTSD, childhood trauma, abuse, depression, anxiety, addiction, and grief. Second, Atel mentioned her God box, and this is where you write down what is bothering you, something you're ruminating on, but you don't have control over it. So write it down and put it in the God box. Let God or the universe take care of it. Do this every time you have something that's bothering you that you can't control. Just release it. Go back to that God box a few months later and see how things have resolved. Surrendering and releasing is a powerful option. Third, do a daily gratitude journal every night before you go to bed. Write down what you're grateful for that day and be specific. If you're happy the rain barrels are clean, write it down. And finally, it's time to give yourself the love you wish you had as a child and you can give yourself that love. Ask yourself, what do you need? How are you feeling? Are you happy? I'm gonna ask something of you right now. Wrap your arms around yourself and say, I see you and I love you because you've been through a lot and you're worthy of that love. So how will you know when the trauma is healed? The trauma is healed when you get to a place where the memory is there, but the reaction is gone. It isn't about forgiving and forgetting. It's about forgiving and moving on. So thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Happiest Ever After. I have been so incredibly moved by all the love and support that's been sent my way. I've loved every single guest who has joined me, and I love that you are giving me a little space in your life. Your support has boosted Happiest into the top 10% of podcasts globally, and we are just getting started. If you haven't had a chance yet, please rate and review Happyish on whatever platform you listen on. If you take a screenshot and send it to me, I would love to tag you and share your kind words. This community that is developing means so much to me. And if you ever have a question or a guest suggestion, please feel free to DM me. It's Tatiana Robertson Official on Instagram. I've actually already got a couple of recommendations lined up for the coming months. So thank you to my Happyish fam that sent those recommendations. And today, I'm going to sign off with these wise words from Atel. Love your life, and your life will love you back.